As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. As Sheriff lay down the law in Madrid, we salute the good, the bad and the ugly of the midweek games from Juve beating Chelsea with a player named Weston to Man United's magnificent seven and his late goal after what was Apache performance. Also today, Premier League. Top two face-off at Anfield. Bottom two face-off in Burnley. We'll have that and much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's Thursday, the 30th of September, and welcome to another Fat Totally. We've got your Tom Williams on board. Hey, Tom. Hello, James. Nice to see you. Adam Crafton's with us again. Hello, Adam. Hello. And returning from a rainy week on his bike, Duncan Alexander. Did you get back in time for the Champions League action, Duncan? I got back in time for the Premier League action. I wasn't going to gonna miss any red-hot EPL, but then obviously UCL as well. So, right. just football, yeah. I mean, I ask because it feels like that was one of the most remarkable Champions League match days. Well, since last time, match day one, probably. Mm. You had Sheriff winning in Madrid, that PSG Messi business, uh, Chelsea getting beaten, Barcelona getting beaten, bottom of their group, and it's barely got a mention amongst all of that. It was just extraordinary. Plus, Old Trafford. It was a great week. Lots of, uh, lots of big storylines. Um, I was on... Goat watch. I watched Man City against Lionel Messi's PSG and then uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's Manchester United against Alberto Moreno's Villarreal. And it sort of struck me that both Messi and Ronaldo have kind of arrived at a point in their careers where all they do is kind of wander around looking disinterested and then pop up and produce the defining moment of whichever match they're playing in, which is exactly what both of them did. We almost got to the stage yesterday where we were thinking it would be a great athletic piece to take Cristiano Ronaldo to a walking football uh, match <laughs> with those pensioners um, to, to to learn from them, um, actually, and enhance his game even further. I'd like to see a pensioner do Ronaldo's goal celebration because that is a lot of stress for his knees. <laughs> Particularly if they're wearing their, their own, own brand underpants as well. I can't imagine there's too many pensioners. Uh, a lot of them do, Tom, a lot of them do. But um, Sporting that, though. Um, <laughs> They might have their names written on their underpants. That is more possible, yeah. yeah. Right. But um, 
it does feel like this group stage, a bit like someone who, you know, maybe they almost got left for, for someone else, like the Super League and, and the group stage has really gone, right, we're going to, we need to make a big impression this season. And, and it has been, like you said, both match days so far have been narrative laden. It's been really good. All right, well, we're trying to put some numbers on how narrative laden they've been in the course of today's show. Listener, you'll be delighted to know. But let's start with match day two's final bit of that extraordinary drama, 95 minutes into Wednesday night at Old Trafford. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Fernandez, Fred, Ronaldo, down towards Linga, Ronaldo! Manchester United win! It's Cristiano Ronaldo! Cristiano Ronaldo broken the Champions League appearance record. Wednesday night, breaking Villarreal hearts with that 95th minute winner, having not done much in between. Uh, the finale there in pure Fergie time and a late strike, uh, worthy of manager Oli, you know, back in the day, Adam. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was all a bit jammy, wasn't it? It was, um, uh, you know, Ronaldo knocks it down, Lingard gets it back. It was quite clever, um, but they were so lucky. I mean, United were awful. The first hour... It's not an exaggeration to say United could have conceded three, four goals and they couldn't really have complained about it. Didn't really create that much for themselves. Um, it's only really this sort of amazing resurgence of David De Gea that's, that's keeping them above water. And there were periods where, you know, during Van Gaal or Mourinho's periods at the club where you felt like De Gea was keeping those managers afloat at times. And there's been elements of the start of this season where, you know, I don't think it is that serious for Solskjaer in terms of his standing within the club. But in terms of shaping the direction of United's season, I mean, he has been as important as, you know, as Ronaldo's goals. And I think there was always a sense when Ronaldo came in that Ronaldo would have a fantastic season and have a fantastic time. Whether that would also mean Manchester United have a fantastic season, I think there were more question marks about how it would work with the other forwards they've got how you know having him as a number nine you know and as a bit of a spare man in most aspects of his play would would benefit the whole team and I think that's what we're seeing at the moment it does feel a little bit like Ronaldo is uh, along with David De Gea's resurgence almost the only bit of really good news for United at the moment everywhere else you look in that team there are problems I mean last night they were missing three first choice defenders hmm. um, and you know, particularly down the right-hand side where, where Diogo Dallo just really didn't get to grips with Arno Danjuma at all. Uh, they were constantly uh, being caught out. But, yeah, further up the pitch, Jaden Sancho still finding his feet. Mason Greenwood's gone off the boil a little bit the last the last couple of weeks. Bruno Fernandes is, is still adjusting, perhaps, to, to the presence of Ronaldo in the team. Um, and, it, yeah, you, you don't get any great sense that... that things are, are all falling into place. But with Ronaldo in the team, you get moments like, you know, like the one we saw in the 95th minute. This is exactly the sort of game that United wouldn't have won last season. Uh, but Ronaldo, you know, gives you that ability to, to nick games. And, and in David, uh, with David De Gea in this sort of form, he, he manages to, you know, to, to keep you in those games as well. I think sometimes there's a danger that we always look at things through the lens of, you know, a club like United or Chelsea or whatever. And Villarreal were fantastic last night. I mean, they they defended brilliantly until, you know, late on. They kept the ball really well. They made good chances. They identified weaknesses in United really well. 
So I think you've got to credit, give some credit to them. But also, United just don't have a balance in their team. And I think we're getting towards a point where, you know, he's trying to squeeze in Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Greenwood, Jadon Sancho, all into the same team. And it's not, it's not going to work. So they've got some really big games coming up in the next few weeks. Leicester, Spurs, Liverpool, City, uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, I think, over October, November. And he's going to have to start being really brave. And the more I watch them, the more I think the person who they're struggling to find the place for most is probably Pogba. Because if you put him as a two in the holding midfield, then they become very exposed. Um, if you put him out left, then you can't then get Rashford back into the team. And Ronaldo likes to drift out there as well. So I think he is probably the most vulnerable of that all-star, you know, that all-star cast. Yeah, it's... Um... Obviously, last night Pogba was in a two with McTominay, and but Pogba was roaming all over the place. McTominay, he had a good second half. At first half, he seemed to be kind of just drifting in and out, and it was almost like the defence weren't really, you know, passing to him. So it was almost like United had no midfield at all at points. Um, Ronaldo was like incredibly static. He had like twenty-four passes and five aerials, which is a kind of, you know, big man up front sort of numbers but when he drifted he went wide when Cavani came on and he did actually look more impressive and you do wonder whether maybe that is the solution is to is to play him wider um, although whether he'll be able to play 95 minutes each week if he's doing that because he, he really isn't a runner at all anymore um, it's the age-old thing isn't it United go in these little spells of, of bad form but you know they never go on a long run of defeats because they have got the quality to, to pick up results and that's what kind of keeps Solskjaer on a job essentially, is that um, he has got this legendary status, rightly so, with the fans. So he does, to get up ahead of steam against him, would need a really bad run of results. And, and they never really do that. But as Adam says, mm. the fixture list coming up is quite daunting. So, we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens. So I think this is a pretty pivotal few weeks after the inter- international break for United. There's, there's a couple of things I'd just, say, I'd just say quickly. One is that, you know, for all of Solskjaer's limitations that people can, can throw at him. The players clear, you know, there's been ample opportunities for the players to let this go um, and, you know, not keep coming from behind. The amount of times they come from behind to rescue a point or a win is remarkable over the last 18 months. So it's clearly, with, with the sort of late Mourinho period, you could see the players wanted the manager to change. With Solskjaer, I don't necessarily think that's the case. It's just... I think there's just this doubt as to whether this guy who's made the team a lot better, whether he can make them the best in the country and the best in Europe. And I think that's a far more legitimate question. Um, but, you know, they do have this spirit about them that means that, combined with individual quality, that means they keep going and they eventually seem to find a way. And they also do tend to do better against better teams. They almost play to the level of their opponents at times. Um, so when they play Man City and Liverpool and Chelsea, I, th- I think they'll probably look a bit probably a bit of a better team but we've not yet seen them play those teams with Ronaldo as Duncan says in that sort of quite more static role all right well we'll see what happens this weekend then against Everton and we'll also find out how many players are returning for uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the back Juan Bissaka's European suspension of course won't apply here Uh, Harry Maguire is out for a while but I'm hearing that Luke Shaw may be back available for that game whether Shaw is back for the weekend I mean you know, but people were looking at whether Alex Tellers would be any good um, as his replacement, and he scored that brilliant goal, which obviously got United back into it. It's very 
kind of reminded me of a sort of guy you'd see in Roy the Rovers. Like you don't actually see in real football games very often, where you know Bruno sort of just dinked it to the edge of the box. You see, we've seen it with corners before, but I very rarely see it with a free kick that close to the box. And he didn't quite catch it perfectly, but he got enough on it that it went in. And you know that really kind of turned it around. And I guess that getting back into the game with a with a set piece like that again points to the fact that United maybe you know were, were fortunate. But yeah, they went on and won. So there we go. The best left foot volley scored direct from a set piece at Old Trafford since that Arjen Robben one for Bayern Munich back in the day. Big call. Excellent. All right, well, there you go. Man United up against Everton this weekend. And then they've got back-to-back games with Atalanta in the Champions League. And next up, we're going to talk about Tuesday's sexy football in Paris. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, Doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream, but he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing, but with Paddy Power you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power! Pretty much bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Yep, Leo Messi there, uh, settling this clash of the last two Champions League runners-up, the deepest wallets in football at the Bug de France Tuesday night. His first goal for Paris Saint-Germain, but his seventh in five meetings with sides managed by Pep Guardiola. That's remarkable. Paris Saint-Germain were a goal up at this point, but City, were they looking the better side at this point? It felt like a huge moment anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think City generally played pretty well. They had the misfortune of conceding an early goal, uh, which really played into PSG's hands because PSG have have become a bit of a counter-attacking team in the Champions League um, this year. I mean, that was certainly the modus operandi against Barcelona and Bayern Munich last season. Uh, and it meant that they could, they could sit back. And, and I think what you really saw in this game from a City perspective was that whereas the Chelsea game last weekend showed what they're still capable of doing without a striker... This game showed what they can't do without a striker because they got the ball in good positions, particularly in wide areas, um, and they just weren't able to to, to turn that that territory in, into decent chances. Of course, you had that double chance in the in the first half where Sterling and then Bernardo Silva hit the the crossbar in quick succession. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really feel like City played that badly, um, and. PSG were basically just weathering City attacks and then Messi pops up and scores an absolute classic Messi goal. Um, and I think, so. you know, looking at it from PSG's perspective, of course, everyone's been been waiting for him to score his, his first goal in, in, in PSG colours. But I think that he, he scored such a trademark goal as well. Slightly discombobulating in a way in that we've only ever seen him do that with two teams before, Barcelona and Argentina. And here was him doing the exact same thing the little one-two with Mbappe, the shot in, into the top right corner. Uh, and I think for PSG, it will just be a huge, huge lift um, hmm. because he's got his first goal. They've pulled a, a really decent result out of the bag against 
against their big rivals in the group. Um, and it was all smiles in the changing room afterwards. Messi and Mbappe and, and Neymar side by side after after a few days of uh, not quite so smiley headlines, shall we say. Right, indeed. No one called anyone a tramp this time. Certainly after the shambles against Bruges, this is more the kind of thing Pierce, she thought it was going to be be like with Messi in the team. A shout out as well for Marco Verratti, who was in the side for the first time since August. Julian Aron reporting that uh, after dropping what he terms an absolute masterclass, he then finished the night in the Medellin nightclub with Neymar and Mbappe. What a legend, says Jules. Where was Messi? Not there. I'm not sure, Duncan. Mm. Tucked up in bed yeah. by that I time, mean, surely. If you want some some raw numbers about how much better City possibly were. They had three times as many shots as PSG, um, almost twice as many shots on target, and the XG was 0.46 for PSG versus 1.92 for City. And it, like Tom said, it could have, you could replay that game and, and City would win on on occasion. And, you know, as good as the front three for for PSG were and are, although I didn't, didn't think Neymar was great, they were so isolated at points. It was a very, you know, disjointed... Uh, performance and and that goal from Messi, it was good, but that's pretty much all he did. So it we, it does feel like this season's Champions League is divided into teams that are like real, rehearsed, trained, coached teams, versus a few teams who have just collected a load of superstars and are hoping that works. So it's quite interesting to see which which teams prevail. So I think mm. a Man City not with one foot in each camp a little bit. Yeah, City, well, City, no, I wouldn't say so in a sense because City have spent a lot of money, but they don't necessarily always go out and buy big superstars. They go out and buy players that they think are going to improve the the team. You know, a lot of money on on people like, you know, Ruben Diaz or Bernardo Silva or Jack Grealish, but they're not not Messi and Ronaldo, are they? So, um, well, that's true. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Mm. A City, as they prepare for back to back fixtures with Bruges. Uh, next in the Champions League. Are they fortunate that they won't have Kevin De Bruyne suspended mm. for games in Belgium and the like? Very. Um, I, I found it incredible that he wasn't sent off um, in that game. It seems strange to me sometimes that you have like people who are actually watching these things back and then just mm. saying, nope, no, let's not, let's not go and ask the yeah. ref to have another look at this. Like, And at times it's almost like, why, why do we have this technology there? Um, because I mean that's the sort of thing you know it was, it was dangerous um, it was the sort of tackle we don't you know that that you know without being too pompous about it that can really harm players and the sort of tackle that they're, you know, they're under the directive to clamp down on as we saw with uh, Wan Bissaka a couple of weeks ago against Young Boys so it seemed really strange a um, couple of bright sparks for PSG beyond that were I thought Hakimi was fantastic at right back and Donnarumma looked good as well um, in goal and obviously having Verratti back as well so I think they're still you know they're still trying to work out where all these new signings fit in and also Nuno Mendes did pretty well as what's he 18 years old up against Mares at left back so I think it's a team that will evolve as the season goes on but interesting. I wonder whether that game might end up providing a blueprint for Mauricio Pochettino to work from in that ordinarily when you're building a football team you build from the back but with PSG, there is an imperative to pick the three superstar attackers. So in a way, he is constrained to, to build from the front. And I think what, what made PSG's system work on Tuesday was that you had a very hard-working midfield of 
Verratti at number six and Idrissa Gay and Ander Herrera. Idrissa Gay, who put in a shift and a half, scored the first goal, man of the match. And I wonder, given the lack of defensive implication from the forward players, particularly Messi, who doesn't even pretend he's trying to press people or ta- tackle people, just stands there watching the game going on around him and he doesn't have the ball. I wonder whether the only way PSG can make that work, particularly in the Champions League, is to pick that quite functional midfield three. You think you think about you know Liverpool in recent seasons with a very kind of functional midfield three and then a stellar attacking three. I wonder whether that might be the way that, that, that PSG end up approaching these big games. Not great news for Angel Di Maria, uh, who'll be the one who misses out. But I just I can't see how you can get the necessary cover in wide areas without having those two, uh, you know, sort of lateral midfielders in Herrera and, and Gay on Tuesday doing the defensive work that, that Messi in particular, but also Neymar and Mbappe don't really fancy. Hmm, Interesting. All right, well, we'll see more from PSG. Next up, there'll be uh, back-to-back games with RB Leipzig. A city, as we mentioned, off in Belgium next time out. Before that, they've got Liverpool coming up this weekend. Again, we'll be talking about more shortly. Duncan? I was just, just on the De Bruyne VAR thing. Some listeners might remember a computer game called Kickoff 2, which had a really wide range of referees. You didn't know either they going to get an incredibly lenient ref or a really, really mm. strict ref. And maybe that would be good in VAR, add a little bit of variation to the uh, to the system where, you know, maybe you get a lenient VAR so people can, can up their game right. a bit. But, yeah. Is that so not what we already have? Well, that's what I'm thinking. It, fit, it does feel slightly like that this season. Um, mm. So I'm not against so that. So a, manage, a manager can choose their setting before the game? Yeah, maybe you get like three three a season where you can go, right, we're going to struggle in this game, so let's go for the really strict VAR so we can kind of you know right. win, win, win some free kicks. Or you you don't like the other team or something and you just go lenient VAR and, and steam in. Pile in on them, yeah. <laughs> also, you should have like a big joker that you can play before a game and you get double the points from it. All yeah. major, major suggestions that we should get onto the desk of Arsene Wenger as soon as possible. At Chelsea... On the subject of teams that look like they should have bought a striker, uh, in their game in Turin, uh, defeated 1-0 by Juventus, which losing 1-0 away at Juve doesn't sound a terrible result, but for anyone who hadn't been keeping track of La Signora, they've been all over the shop of late. They'd had their worst start in 60 years. They were in the bottom three last weekend. Empoli won in Turin the other day against Juventus. And this was the European champions who've gone and added Lukaku in the summer. So it was something of a surprise when 10 seconds into the second half, Federico Chiesa lashed that into the roof of the net. Uh, Stirring stuff from Juve, from Chiesa and another of Italy's heroes last summer, Leo Bonucci there, who was uh, pretty outstanding on on Lukaku, who who was able to catch this game amongst the other treats. Yeah, I watched it. It was it was an interesting match because Juventus looked um, like a really fast, counter-attacking, energetic team, and I did wonder: have they did they sell anyone who might have uh, might slow them down uh, in the summer? Um, Chelsea just looked like they missed Mason Mankwell. There was quite a lot of disconnection, I thought, between the elements of their team. But yeah, Juve, it was exciting, and the the goal obviously ten seconds into the second half, but 
you know, naturally, given that was the case, that it was not back, hit long to the left flank, flipped on with a header, and then you know found its way to Kesey who lashed it in. It was a it's a very national league sort of going. It made me wonder whether Notts County had lent them a uh, a tactics book as well as their kit recently. So um, that was good. But yeah, Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea had seventy two percent possession in the first half, seventy four in the second half. They they dominated the ball, but one shot on target. And it is slight concern if you if you combine that with with last weekend against City as well. And um, you know they don't tend to if they concede the first goal, they don't tend to do that well. Um, so I think there's there's stuff for too cool to think about going forward. Well, he said after Saturday's defeat that he, he got his approach wrong. What, what do you think it was here, beyond the absence of Mason Mount? I mean, they still... Lukaku had a couple of reasonable chances and, and Kai Havertz should have scored a header in, in injury time. So they could have easily got a draw and, and that would have been fine, I think. I don't think... It's not crisis talk yet, but it is... You know, a few weeks ago, everyone was sort of nodding sagely and saying, well, Chelsea are the best team in European football and, you know, they're going to win the league. And I think the last ten, seven, ten days or whatever has has shown that isn't necessarily the case. Um, mm. You know, he did mix up the team a little bit. They they He brought on five English substitutes, the first time that's ever happened in a Champions League game. Um, didn't expect to see Ross Barkley playing for Chelsea this season necessarily, but he actually did OK when he came on. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's not a dire situation, but it is stuff for Tuchel to think about, and we know that mm. he will think about it. Indeed. Of course, Mason Mount wasn't the only midfielder not available because N'Golo Kante was out with COVID, uh, apparently after turning down vaccines, which is an uh, interesting development. Between him anti-vaxxing and Alonso not taking the knee, what's next, you, you wonder? Is it Jorginho coming out against free school meals or something? What is this new off-message Chelsea? As Piliqueta flat earther, that's my that's my guess. I think Chelsea can get away with taking one of Angola Conte and Mason Mount out of the team at a time. I don't think they can always get away with being without both of them, and I think that's something that that stood out in that in that game against Juve. I think not just because you you lack their kind of industry in the middle of the pitch, but also just bridging midfield and attack. You know, Hakim Ziyech made a, a relatively rare start for him against Juventus and, and, and didn't do a great deal. Kai Habert is a little bit off off the boil. So there isn't a huge amount of support for Lukaku at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll be keen to get, get both of those players back as quickly as possible. All right. Well, they have uh, Southampton coming up uh, this Saturday, do Chelsea. Uh, Southampton winless in the Premier League this season. But uh, Saints are unbeaten in their last three meetings with Chelsea in the Premier League. And next up for us on Totally... It's Sheriff Benfica and a bad midweek for La Liga. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced match-ups. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. 
Shaky week for your Spanish sides. Atletico Madrid won, but were extremely fortunate to do so at San Siro. Sevilla were lucky to even get a point against Wolfsburg, while the big two were both humiliated. Barcelona beaten 3-0 at Benfica, Real Madrid losing 2-1 at home to Sheriff Tiraspol, a team from Transnistria, a narrow strip of land roughly the size of Somerset that doesn't officially exist. Duncan, in precise numbers, how unlikely was this event happening? Well, at Stats Perform, we've got these power rankings which rates over 19,000 teams around the world in hundreds of different leagues. Um, and in those terms, Sheriff are pretty high. They're 234th, but they're in between Tigres um, and Wickham Wanderers. So uh, Wickham, by a bit of context, Wickham lost 6-1 to City in the League Cup last week. So in term, that's about the standard that Sheriff are. So again, to go um, away to Real Madrid and win. But if you look at the numbers, it was an insane. It was one of those one in a thousand performances where... But, you know, narrative sometimes is, sometimes is stronger than uh, than reality. And I think, as you said, La Liga teams are, you know, it's, it's a tough time for them. Um, so, yeah, maybe we should have expected it. Well, it was a magnificent performance by the visitors and one that caught the eye of uh, so many people around Europe, uh, not uh, least Sasha Gurionov. Hello, James. Sasha, you were telling us more about Sheriff in Tuesday's show ahead of the game. And and crikey, what what a what a good time to be doing so! A massive week for them. They they won the Tiraspol derby with Dinamo Alto on Saturday in front of twelve hundred fans. The result then on Tuesday is probably even bigger, no? Uh, just probably just about. I mean, it wasn't seven nil. It was just the two one. Uh, could have probably mm. been seven nil to Real Madrid, but um, I think it's one of those. Um, uh, I was just listening to Duncan uh, when every one of those days when everything comes together. But the thing is with with, with Sheriff, it all came together for the second consecutive match week uh, in in Champions League. And while they are quite conservative and you know sit deep, I mean, it's pretty much what what they can do. I thought against Real, you know, it wasn't as if like Real had about ten tap-ins that they missed. They kind of kept them at a range. And I thought, you know, defenders cleaned up after the goalkeeper quite well. The goalkeeper pushed um, two or three quite awkward shots out of the way quite well as well. So I think it was it was actually really professional. I think the only times they really got opened up was for those two penalty shouts and um, the second one uh, Real uh, got. And uh, at that stage, I think everybody in the whole world thought that uh, Sheriff, well, they, they can't hold out for another half an hour, but not only they scored, they scored, actually scored twice. Okay, one of them was offside. But the manner of the winner, I mean, I know everybody was going on about Messi's, but I thought this was this was... This was a better strike. This was a better goal. This was much more um, unlikely story. I mean, um, Sebastian Thiel, who uh, a year ago wasn't being paid on loan at a bankrupt Russian club. Um, the lad's 27. I mean, he's not never going to have a huge career. This will be the highlight of his life. Um, and I think this, this actually goes for a lot of these Sheriff players. I mean, if you look at the lineup, while the average age is it like they're not in their 30s, but a lot of them are 26, 27, 28. I'm not sure how much of a selling value they're going to have. And this, this is where the whole Sheriff you know, model of selling on players hasn't really really worked, you know, as it might have done for other clubs. I mean, they've, I think, earned about 15, 16 million euros over the years selling players to Russian clubs. But, you know, in, in terms of budgets and stuff, they are, I mean, they got five to eight million euros a year, uh, which is like a small Russian club, which is about 20 times more than the next biggest uh, Moldovan team, of course. But when, to be honest, like the, the win is just incomprehensible. Uh, it, it, it just, that, that stuff should not be happening. I completely understand when Dirk Coit says, oh yeah, these guys shouldn't be here, which then, 
Vernidub, the coach, basically used as a massive motivational tool. It basically rolls it out every time now. And Vernidub, um, the manager, he's quite, uh, he's always been an emotional kind of guy, sort of emotional manager, quite a workmanlike midfielder back in the day. Um, but he's, um, he, 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 he comes across as a pretty sensible, pretty good bloke. And I, he was asked at one point, you know, about, about all these tactics books that he's been reading. And, you know, and he said, yeah, I've, you know, borrowed some training methods from, you know, from, from Guardiola, maybe from Mourinho, probably from, more from Mourinho than Guardiola. And you could see in the way his teams are set up. But I think there wasn't any other way they could have played against Real Madrid. And, you know, this time it worked. And, you know, it is a, uh, it is a victory for the generations. Mm, certainly is. It, it's a curious case, Sheriff, of Transnistria. Because in some ways, like a fairy tale, and in other ways, really not. Transnistria, like something from a Borat movie, with the kind of the <laughs> way it's kind of set up, as you described it, as a kind of one company state. But in terms of the players, just remarkable. Till, who you mentioned there, with a tattoo on his leg, which shows him dreaming of, of playing in the Champions League. And there he is scoring at the Bernabeu. How about the keeper, Sasha? Georges Anathisiadis. Uh, extraordinary 10 saves, one with his face. Uh, yeah, you know, he stood tall. He made himself big. Sometimes you need your face. But I mean, I think it was Modric. He really hit that. Um, I was surprised, you know, that the keeper got, got up quite, you know, quite quickly after that one. And, you know, again, here's another story of, um, of a guy who I think he maybe played two, three full seasons in his entire career. Um, Massimo Carrera, the former Spartak manager, when he was at Ajax, I think pulled him up from like deep reserves, and he hasn't didn't really perform. He played okay last season. He's on loan now, and uh, but he is, I think, very much the story of these guys. I mean, I don't like these aren't even second rate. These are sort of third rate players that they managed to gather there, and you know all these players as well. They they don't they never stay for very long. I think if you compare it to the team that lost to Dundalk, there's about two or three players left from then because. A, I think they kind of buy players to be in European competition because they don't really need them to win to win the domestic league. But then also, like, why would you stay there for for longer than a year or two? Why would you stay at this place? I mean, it's not you know, it's not exactly the Riviera. Um, and uh, so the churn of players is something that the club is used to. The churn of players is something that Vernidub is used to as well, the manager, because at Zarya Luhansk, um, where he was for eight years between 2011 and 2019, it was very much the same case. I mean, they were. Kind of sort of the third biggest club in Ukraine, taking castoffs from uh, Shakhtar and from Dynamo Kiev, and they were always prepared to lose players. So I think when he came into the Sheriff project, um, I think it was um, just over a year ago. I mean, they, um, you know, there was an understanding of how this whole thing is going to function, and you know, he was on board with it. Well, it's magnificent, isn't it? So two wins out of two, and next up they got back-to-back games with Inter, who they will definitely. Beat, and we'll be seeing Sheriff in the, the <laughs> knockout stages at this rate. Yeah, th- well, I think they've almost probably done enough to get themselves a Europa League place. But I think there is the danger from now that you know Inter might might take them quite seriously and you know might 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 study them a bit more than I think. I think I definitely think Shakhtar underestimated them. Plus, the problem with Shakhtar was the Zerbi. I think is trying to build a little bit of a Sassuolo there, and he hasn't like the system. Shakhtar isn't really running on all on all cylinders this early in the season. Whereas with Real, I mean, I, I think you could see the frustration in the second half. They were just like, well, what do we have to do here to get through? Um, I don't think mentally Real were really prepared for uh, for such a dogged performance from the opponents as well. So I think when it comes to Inter, I mean, especially position that Inter are in, I, I think Inter could probably blow Sheriff away over the next two games. But, you know, that's what I thought about the first two games. Go to jail for that. Indeed. Sasha, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. See you, James. Bye. Sasha Gurian of Real Madrid as it stands. 
second in the group behind the Transnistrians. Uh, much, much worse, though, the situation for Barcelona, who were beaten 3-0 on match day two. Second Champions League game in a row, they've lost by that scoreline. Second Champions League game in a row, they had no shots on target. They are bottom of the group. In most weeks, that would have been the headline. It possibly doesn't even rank as a real upset, the way their season has been going. Uh, what, what did anybody make of Barcelona's performance at Benfica? I mean, to sum up Barcelona's current woes, the, um, their last goal in the Champions League was scored by Lionel Messi at the Parc de Prince. Um And Messi's latest goal in the Champions League was scored at the Parc de Prince, but for a different team. I mean, as you say, no shots on target. And also, I don't think it is a surprise. They're, they just look woeful. And, um, you know, I don't know what the Spanish is for chickens coming home to roost, but they are roosting in numbers right now. I mean, they were rank, Barcelona, absolutely rank. You look at the first goal, Benfica, Darwin Nunez picks the ball up out on the left-hand side, cuts in, does the most slow-motion double step-over you've ever seen. It reminded me of, remember that bit with Phil Neville in the class, was it in the Class of 92 <laughs> documentary? We talked about realising that he needed a trick, so he, he started practising step-overs in his back garden. Somehow it flummoxes Eric Garcia, and yet even though he completely overruns the ball, PK doesn't seem to realise there's an opportunity to rush out and clear it. And then even though he doesn't really catch the shot properly and bobbles it towards the bottom corner, it still gets past Marc-Andre to Stegen. Uh, and yeah, that that was early on, wasn't it? That was the third minute, and that set the tone for the yeah. rest of the game for Barcelona. Um, you know, you, you you look at the team they had out. The fact they've got Luke De Jong up front, There's, they almost feel like this sort of pastiche of like early noughties Barcelona, like a bunch of Dutch guys you've kind of heard of, some up and coming Spanish players, and the whole thing just just a big mess. I mean, you know, they they are still missing some important players uh, through injury, but it, it does feel like Ronald Koeman is is limping towards uh, the end of, of what would be a very brief stay at, at Camp Nou mm. already. Mm. As soon as they can find the money to pay him off. Yeah, very, very much open to listener feedback on this, but um, I was just mostly thinking about chickens coming home to roost in Spanish, um, and I think it would be <laughs> al final todo se paga which means sort of in the end everything will be paid, uh, which isn't as exciting as chickens coming home to roost. Um, but yeah, that was my contribution. I don't have the Catalan for it. Not at Barcelona they won't, Adam. That's one of the issues that <laughs> people just not. A rough night then for Barcelona in the stadium where they lost 8-2 a little over a year ago when they still felt relevant. The team that beat them, of course, that night and are in the group with them again are Bayern and they, just to note, are quietly looking awesome again after beating Barcelona 3-0 a couple of weeks ago. They had a 5-0 against Dynamo Kiev. Do you remember when Hansi Flick took over at Bayern not so long ago and all of a sudden the team was scoring more goals than they'd ever scored under any new manager? Well, under Nagelsmann, they're doing even better than that. 46 goals they've scored in 10 games, uh, with a whopping number of those coming from Lewandowski. What would, would you make of a team with this kind of attacking firepower, Duncan? I mean, it's funny, isn't it, with Bayern, because they kind of go slightly under the radar, even when, obviously, they didn't get involved in the, the Super League antics as well. And, and But they are just in, incredibly good. I mean, Leroy Sane finally looks like he's the player that we thought he could be. Lewandowski scored as many um, club goals this year as Leeds, which is quite a lot. So, I mean, they just look 
awesome. And you know that that that's a massive win for Benfica because they're now four points. So um, you know you you would imagine a, a win uh, for them, another win, and and that that group really stretches out. So. Um, but yeah, Bayern mm. for me are the favourites to win the league, the Champions League. Is that right? Is that right? Do you have any issues with that, Adam or Tom? No, I am very excited by both Serge Gnabry and Sane being in form. Um, at the same time, I think that is quite a terrifying uh, proposal. And you know, I suppose Lewandowski's Lewandowski, but also the Alfonso Davis is back as well now, isn't he? And looks to be going mm. quite well. And just from the, just watching the highlights last night, Nicolas Zula looks unbelievably good. Just from sort of three minutes of highlights and a five 0 win, just sort of moving out with the ball from the back, very physical, very commanding. So maybe there's a you know there's this almost there's a very good age blend I think in that Bayern team and a, a nice maturing that's taking place. And very interesting to see what Nagelsmann's able to do with them. Mm. That's a good point actually because. You know, Barcelona are the, are the example of how not to transition from one generation mm. to another. And, and Bayern, yeah, maybe like a season ago, did look like the team was getting a little bit tired, but they've managed to, to you know, rebuild and, and really well, I think. The only thing that can bring them down now is some avant-garde trouser choices from Nagelsmann in, you know, in a big game. So, Not even that, Duncan. Also on Lewandowski, uh, France Football have announced this week that they'll be shortly announcing the shortlist for this year's Ballon d'Or, which Mm. will be announced, I think, early in the new year. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to implore the football community to do the decent thing, give it to Robert Lewandowski, who was unfairly denied it in 2020. Yes, he's not won the Champions League this year, but I think fair's fair, he deserves one. There you go. Next up, let's get on to this weekend's action in the Premier League. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Tom, how did your mum's birthday go? Did you get the message? Did you get that message that we did in the podcast 
Thursday message for your mum? I sort of teasingly mentioned that it might be an idea for her to listen to the podcast all the way to the end this week. Um, right. I've not heard not heard back since. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, we may never I mentioned know. this because, listener, there might be a very special message for you at the end. Hmm? Anyway, now, uh, oh, Premier League, it's match day seven. Let's have a run through what awaits. Man United, kick things off Saturday lunchtime in their clash with Everton. That's followed by four games at three. You've got Chelsea Saints, Wolves Newcastle, Burnley Norwich and Leeds Watford. Tea time Saturday, it's Brighton Arsenal. Then Sunday, three games at two o'clock. Spurs Aston Villa, West Ham Brentford and Crystal Palace Leicester. And then at 4.30, Wolf Liverpool Man City. Mmm. Crikey, no question what the headline fixture is this time. Liverpool taking on Man City, who beat them, of course, back in February 4-1 in what was City's first win at Anfield in almost 18 years and pretty much set them on course for the title. Remarkable. What what are you anticipating this time around? Very difficult to call this because Liverpool have sort of flitted between looking really sort of imperious uh, in periods of games this season and then they have quite odd periods of games as well. So, you know, even when I remember watching the game against Milan a couple of weeks ago where the first 30 minutes was probably the best I've seen Liverpool play for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden they went in at half-time, 2-1 down. And then Brentford, you know, they made a load of chances in that game but looked quite vulnerable defensively. City won't cause them the kind of problems that Brentford did, though. And then obviously they'll go to Porto and win 5-1. So I think Liverpool are in a really good place. Um, and City should be a little bit tired after those two games they've had this week and a little bit vulnerable. But I was kind of writing City off before they went to Chelsea and produced their best performance for about four years. So, I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. So there's your insight. (laughs) Right. Liverpool were the one Premier League side that looked quite comfortable this week, or very comfortable, in fact, winning 5-1 away at Porto, as is their won't of late. Uh, this is the third year in, what, four that they've been and they've they've put up an aggregate score so far in these three visits of 14 goals for and only two conceded. Duncan? Yeah, I mean, in terms of that Porto game, they were helped by some of the worst goalkeeping I've ever seen, I think, at, at that level. Just just mad. Um, but Curtis Jones looked really good and you think he might not have got as much game time this season had Harvey Elliott not got injured and, you know, all the, all the furore about Liverpool not signing many players in the summer, um, you know, Klopp's decision to sort of double down on the on the squad he had is, is paying dividends, I think, so far. I think in regards to the City game, these games really feel like a kind of state of the nation sort of conference almost. Um, you know, it feels like either one of Guardiola or Klopp is in the ascendancy at some point. And last season was very much Guardiola and, and Liverpool did look almost just broken from the the two previous seasons um they now look as good in terms of intensity as they have ever under Klopp I'd say and yeah they as Adam said they are still not perfect at the back but you know they're creating ridiculous numbers of chances from set pieces as well as open play I think that could really cause City some problems um especially with a you know full Anfield and also if you remember last season we know Liverpool weren't great but City also took a quite measured approach in the sort of Covid lockdown era 
Um, they didn't run when they didn't need to. Whereas this season, these are the top two teams for lowest PPDA, which is obviously a kind of proxy for pressing. So they're both gone back to almost like sort of three or four years ago. And I think if you remember what these games were like then, we had the Champions League matches, we had the the league games as well, and they were really just this incredibly intense ding-dong battles, particularly the ones at Anfield, actually. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this match, and it is hard to call, but I think Liverpool, after what happened last season, are going to be really, really up for this. Um, and, yeah, let's, uh, it's you know something for everyone to look forward to. I think um, Grealish against Trent will be very exciting, um, as probably the two players that, um, I mean, it's almost like, who, uh, who does Gareth Southgate dislike more? Well, if, if, uh, Trent, if Trent plays... <laughs> I think there's a doubt, isn't there? I think yeah, there's, a, I think there's I think, a big doubt. Yeah, what is? why was he left out of the Porto team? Well, it was illness at first, but now it sounds like it's a groin strain, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I think they. I think Jurgen Klopp said they had a, a, a light session ahead of the Porto game, uh, and he felt something in that, which is why he didn't feature um, in that game, and looks like he is a doubt for the weekend as well. So it could Probably. be James Milner filling in again against one of his former clubs. All right. Milner, who got an assist and possibly more, wasn't able to keep track, actually, on Tuesday night in the game away in Porto. Did you see that stat about James Milner's number of assists in the Champions League over the past few years? Was it, was it your tweet, uh, Duncan? Um, no, I have done them in the past. He did. There was a couple of point a couple of years ago where he had the most over the past two seasons. I mean, he overtook Kevin De Bruyne for Champions League assists uh, on... <laughs> On Tuesday night, so uh, he Milner's one of those players that everyone knows about his longevity. But um, you know, you close your eyes and think of James Milner, you think of him maybe you know speaking earnestly ironing. to a referee or, or or tackling or ironing, yeah. But he's he's much more creative than people give him credit for. And that ball for Mane's goal against Porto was absolutely perfect. You know, bent between the defender and the keeper again. Yeah, the goalkeeping was not ideal, but. Um, yeah, I mean, every season feels like his last, yet he, he carries on. So I don't think it's... Well, he, he feels, if he does play... He, f- he feels fundamentally ageless, doesn't he, James Milner? You think about how long he's he's been around. The guy who took Wayne Rooney's record as... What did he take? Youngest Premier League goal scorer? Yeah, he... Briefly? No, youngest... He was the youngest player for a bit to ever play in the Premier League before, obviously, James Vaughan took it, and then yes. uh, Harvey Elliott took it. So, I mean, Harvey Elliott could be James Milner's grandson and yet they're in the same squad and like most players who've been around for this amount of time they kind of evolve in terms of the style of player they are but James Milner is still the same player I mean he you know he, he still plays as a kind of box-to-box midfielder yes he's asked to kind of fill in at fullback every now and again but it is his longevity is remarkable and I think because he hasn't really like he doesn't look any different he's got the same haircut he's always had he plays in pretty much the same role and does pretty much the same thing he's always done, albeit very effectively. I think we overlook sometimes quite how remarkable it is that he's basically played 20 years as a box-to-box midfielder in uh, one of the most physically demanding leagues in the world and is still doing it. Imagine going back to the mid-2000s and, and trying to explain Bitcoin and lateral flow tests to people, <laughs> but then you could say, but we've still got James Milner, so we've still got mm. Some things never change. And quite possibly he'll feature in this weekend's clash with Man City. Uh, That's the top two going up against each other. Intriguingly, the bottom two also face off this weekend. Burnley taking on Norwich Saturday 3 o'clock. 
two teams from the Premier League's ample selection of sides still looking for their first victory. Presumably one of them might win this. Possibly Burnley would be your tip for that. Norwich, after all, are on 16 top division defeats in a row, four short of Sunderland's record. Burnley, though, have only won once in the Premier League at Turf Moor in 2021. That was way back in January. Oh, Duncan, I see there's been, amidst all the discussion about the ferocity of Burnley's physical play of late, they are currently enjoying a Premier League record run regarding red cards. Are you aware of this? Yeah, 99 games, which is... Uh, which will go up to 100 if they don't get one against Norwich. That's, right. that's how the old numbers But 99 work. games but, um, without a red card. Yeah, which you could argue, I mean, I, I'm sure Liverpool fans would argue they probably could have had one against them this season. And, you know, Burnley, I guess, have benefited a little bit from the, the laxer interpretation of some of the, the tackling this season. But they don't really tend to get many decisions at all, Burnley. I mean, they've only had... I mean, Salzburg have had five penalties in two Champions mm. League games this season, which is as many as Burnley have had in the Premier League in the 2020s. So, yeah, Burnley just kind of amble through games and the refs let them get on with it, generally. Fair. The other side, still searching for a first win, are all playing Saturday at three. You've got Saints at Chelsea. Leeds are at home to Watford. Uh, and they're on the the verge, leads of their longest winless start to a league season ever. Newcastle, meantime, are at Wolves, where it's by no means a given that there's going to be a winner because the last five meetings between these sides of the Premier League have all ended in exactly the same fashion, 1-1. That's remarkable, isn't it? They have four, no, sorry, five games in a row finishing 1-1. Is it remarkable or is that quite commonplace? Or is it just Nuno against Steve Bruce? Mm. You do get fixtures, don't you, that are a bit one one mm. Well, we saw it this week. Villarreal, Man United had been four nil nils in a row in the Champions League. So right, but not five. Not Crucially. five is the uh, that's the <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the big one. Obviously, Leeds, as you said, are on this quite troubling run, and actually, you know, they've not apart from those games, who they have Man United and Liverpool. Their fixtures haven't been that unkind. I would have thought by now they would have had a win under their belts. And I thought the one against West Ham last week was a really damaging one, um, the way they lost it. I know that you know we've praised them for three years for the way that they go after teams, but they really seem to like lack a bit of street smarts last week against West Ham. And they, they worry me as a team if they were to get dragged into a relegation battle because... They don't strike me as a team that, you know, when you're in that relegation battle, you need to probably just go and win three or four games 1-0 during the season. And they can't do it. They can't do it. They're a team, I think, that need to be playing well and have a bit of confidence and comfortably mid-table to express themselves. And I, I do worry where this might go if they don't get the result over the line this weekend. I think it's going to become a really difficult situation. Um, I think they left themselves short in central midfield in the summer in the transfer market, they've got two defenders that they signed last summer, Diego Llorente and Robin Cock, that just can't stay fit. And that's causing a massive problem. And Liam Cooper is, you know, unfortunately, was a championship player playing above his level for most of last season. Um, so I think there's concerns there. And also, you know, Dan James is now getting the Bielsa new signing treatment, which is to start a game, get taken off after 45 minutes, um, which he got last week. So... That's not ideal either, and obviously Bamford's out. So they've got injuries, but they also worry me if they were to get dragged into it. I'm not sure they their style is suited to, to what you might need in a relegation battle. 
Mm. Well, they're currently in the bottom three, so mm, some might say they are already dragged. A big weekend then for them and those other sides. Also for Brighton and Arsenal. Brighton, who had that 1-1 draw away at Palace on Monday night. They are hosting the Gunners, who are the only team to have won all three Premier League matches in September so far. This could be a big problem uh, because it means that Mikel Arteta is going to be nailed on to win Manager of the Month. (laughs) And everything that that implies, recently demonstrated by Nuno Espirito Santo, of course. What, what do you think? Is Arsenal's revival going to continue at the Amex? Yeah. Well, maybe not at the Amex. I could see that one ending at level. But I think for the first time in a long time, you look at Arsenal and everything seems to kind of fit. And actually, the different elements of the team work together. And it's funny because they brought in Tommy Yasu at right back. And he's, he's won 14 of 16 aerial duels so far which is good for a fullback and you look at Brighton obviously they have Dan Byrne operating as a big friendly giant on the flank and, and it's almost like Arteta's kind of emulated Potter a little bit there um, and it does help if you've got someone like Ben White obviously who came from Brighton who isn't the greatest mm-hmm. in the air but you, you can have Tommy Yasu kind of sweeping behind him a little bit and yeah, I, was re- I think the difference between Nuno getting manager of the month and, and if Arteta gets it is that the Tottenham numbers at the end of August were appalling. They had they had nine points, but there's no way they should have had nine points. Whereas Arsenal do actually look like they're on a on an upward curve. But yeah, I mean, this game should be should be pretty good. They're always quite um, good these matches. There's a little bit of needle between them as well. Remember the the game where Bernd Leno got injured and and Emi Martinez came on in the. The, after the first lockdown two seasons ago, Arsenal should have probably learnt then that Emi Martinez was a good goalkeeper and, and kept him. But Mope got into a bit of an argument with uh, Guendouzi, didn't he? And so I think there could be a, a bit of needle to this match as well. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And Neil Mope has scored the winner on both of his previous uh, league starts against Arsenal and popped up uh, with that quite jammy stoppage time equaliser for Brighton at, at, at Palace on Monday. Um, so I suspect mm. he'll be in amongst it as he often is in these games. Um, mm. Good for good for Ben White as well. Um, I thought he was really good against Spurs last week. Um, apart from when he nearly gave the penalty away, um, which was overlooked. But you know, I, th- I thought some of the treatment he got after that first Brentford game was really sort of disproportionate and sort of very typical of what it's like to be a young big signing at a big club uh, in a key position, as if he was going to just go in and be the cure for a team that had been failing for years uh, instantly. I thought it was really unfair on him. And I think he's shown quite a bit of you know assurance and character to come back from that. Uh, a couple of clean sheets, wasn't it, against Burnley and Norwich. And then, you know, handled Harry Kane pretty well last week as well. So as he goes back to Brighton, I think he'll be doing so a bit more confident in himself. Brilliant. Meantime, speaking of Spurs, they're going to be up against Villa. Because those two sides had very different times of it last weekend. Villa have only won two of their last 21 meetings with Spurs. But of course they had a bad record before they went to Old Trafford last Saturday as well. And look what happened there. Uh, Spurs, Duncan, am I right in saying they've had the fewest shots in the Premier League this season? Yeah, um, they aren't very good as it stands. They haven't lost four Premier League games in a row since Revenge of the Sith came out. Which is handy because in some shots this season... Nuno has looked a bit like a disillusioned Jedi. So, um, really, yeah, he doesn't have the higher ground in the league table, does he? Let's be honest. Right, there's a new Matrix film coming out soon as well, so you can work up some kind of Morpheus uh, parallels as, mm. as well. 
A word on Crystal Palace Leicester, which is Sunday at 2. Duncan, Jamie Vardy, who you'd said wouldn't mm. get to double figures and goals, he's already on five, hasn't you know. Yeah, has he? He hasn't yet, but yeah. I mean, he needs five goals, which would take him to the dreaded double figures mark um, to overtake right. Ian Wright for most Premier League goals in his 30s. So hmm. he's going to do it by bonfire night, isn't he? and I'm going to look silly. So Okay, well, we'll see. Leicester will have Kalechi Iheanacho nice and rested after he travelled to Warsaw to take part in the Europa League game Thursday night but was turned away at the border because his documents didn't tally. Crikey. And finally, from the weekend's games, West Ham taking on Brentford. This should be an excellent match. First meeting of the two sides since April 1993. Feature Saeed Ben Rama up against his former club. What happened in April 1993, you're wondering? Well, Billy Bond's Hammers beat Phil Holder's Bees 4-0 at Upton Park. What was number one? This. What a song, by the way. What a hideously jaunty number that has haunted so many of us, and let's not never speak of it again. When that came out, I was, I was nine years old, and I remember being able right. to sing along to it in a completely uncomplicated way because I was both young at heart and young and it never occurred to me that that song might ever be tinged with any sort of nostalgic longing for do you think it is and I think it's just so uncomplicatedly oh no the song itself I'm talking more about my slightly complex ah right uh, when you hear it now really I don't have anything approaching nostalgia when I hear that song I think thank god I don't hear that song anymore I do not all... like it. I think it's a lovely song. Really? What, what? Young at Heart by the Bluebells? Young at Heart. Oh, here yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get some odds that. from Paddy Power and producer Charlie. Yes, indeed. Hello, listener. What a midweek that was. Finally, the European Super League idea loses credibility. I've got the very credible Carl Monaghan here from Paddy Power to discuss the weekend. And we've got Liverpool v Man City, which could have been a Super League fixture. Carl, is Mo Salah going to find the back of the net again, or is Edison keeping another clean sheet in the Premier League? Well, Charlie, Salah is scorching hot at the moment. He has seven goals in his last six, and has only failed to score once in eight matches in all comps so far this campaign. The Egyptian also loves to score against the Citizens. He has six goals against them since arriving from the Italian capital back in 2017. Salah is 5-2 to two to be the league's top goal scorer come May. There'll be plenty of takers on that. Edison, like you mentioned, Charlie has collected five clean sheets in the league so far, but this game may well be different. I think we may get goals at both ends, as Liverpool will look to land a glove on their title rivals, but at the same time leaving themselves open to a city counter. Remember, Charlie, Klopp has a great record against Pep-managed sides with nine wins from 21 previous jousts. In terms of the market, Liverpool are priced at 9-5, to five, the draw is 12-5, to five, and we make Manchester City the favourites at 7-5. to five. What about the action at the Amex? Brighton could have gone top on Monday. They might go top on Saturday, but they're up against Arteta's Arsenal. Are the Gunners back? Well, Charlie, there would have been a pep in the Gunners' step all week after the manner of their 3-1 derby dismantling of Spurs. And we now make them 15-2, the Gunners, for a top-four finish and 7-5 for a top-six finish, which looks far more likely. 
Arteta's men have enjoyed September, though, with four wins on the bounce after a wretched August and are favourites now to beat Brighton at the seaside at 29-20. to The draw in that one is 21-10 to and the Seagulls are priced up at 2-1. to Brighton have been brilliant, though, so far this campaign with four wins, a draw and a loss. Their left full from the Barca Academy, Mark Cucurella, looks a lovely bit of business. And with Neil Mopai now looking at home in front of goal in the top flight, this will be a tough assignment for the Gunners. These two, I feel, may cancel each other out, Charlie, and a share of the spoils looks likely. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddypower app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League show is out today. What's in that? Well, for one thing, Matt Davis, Adams & Co. will be speaking to Chairboys Chief Gareth Ainsworth. Hey, Duncan, how about that? Manager of your lot, Wickham. He was nervous of what red wine to present to Pep Guardiola. So I don't know if he... But you should tune in and find out what he did. So I hope it wasn't a £5 bottle from the local shop, but you never know. Mm, Indeed. Let's finish off with a quick bit of On This Day, uh, which relates to the football pools, which for many of us growing up was a, a big part of what football was. But I'm going to guess that none of us actually played it. Adam, do you ever play the football pools? No, I still don't know what it is. It was one of those things growing up where I'd hear it at the end of like sports report or or someone mention it in the paper and never actually knew what it was. I still don't know to right. this day because I'm now past the point where I can say to people, apart from on this podcast, that I don't know what this thing is um, without like, sounding a bit weird. So please, please enlighten me. <laughs> can anyone help, Adam? The pools was a competition where you guess whether a game is going to be a win, draw, goalless draw, or a defeat. But I think it's more famous, as Adam hinted at, when there was bad weather, because then the, the infamous pools panel would decide on what they thought the results of the games would have been. And, and you know, it was, a, it was basically just a little game of chance. Um, right. But so basically, you'd have a list it. of results. You'd have to pick. Well, there were different ways to play it, but I think the classic one was you had to pick. Uh, eight of the fixtures that would be a score draw. Uh, the pools yeah. panel, which you mention, it still meets to adjudicate games that have been postponed and award them arbitrarily the results they think that they, that, that might have occurred. Uh, the panel was formed after the uh, a whole bunch of fixtures were called off in the big freeze of 1963. Uh, it has included such heralded ex-pros as Tom Finney, Gordon Banks and, and Roger Hunt, who, who sadly, of course, passed away this week yeah so you had to basically pick a whole batch of uh, games that were score draws and uh, that's what on this day the 30th of September 1961 Viv Nicholson and her husband did coming away with what at the time was an epochal win how much did they net £152,319 18 shillings and 8 pennies this for a 5 bob bet that's about 25p, on the pools. Hey, get used to those numbers, because they're coming back, I believe. Mm. Uh, yeah. Viv and her husband had a <laughs> had a, a weekly combined wage of £9. So this earnings, which in modern times would be about three and a half, half million pounds, was about 325 years of combined earnings uh, for the pair. Famously, when they went to collect the large, you know, the kind of 12-foot cheque that they used to hand out on these occasions... Uh, Viv was asked what she was going to do, and she said, Tom? Spend, spend, spend. Brilliant. 
And she was true to her she word. She did. Can't take it with you. Did she blow it? Well, yeah. So she, within, I think, four years was broke and her husband had died tragically in a car crash in one of the many new vehicles that they, they had bought, despite the fact that Viv didn't have a, a driving licence. She had an extraordinary time of it. Uh, buying houses, uh, cars, clothes, etc. She divorced two husbands. She outlived three more. She famously moved to Malta to escape the tabloids because she was just this incredible figure. It's her, actually, uh, Duncan, you'll appreciate She's quite glamorous, on, isn't she? She was. On the cover of Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now by the Smiths, that's Viv Nicholson. Yeah. That's how I first heard of her name was when I got into the Smiths. She... Morrissey also took the line under the Iron Bridge we kissed and ended up with sore lips from her autobiography. So, um, is that right? What song's yeah. that from? Still ill. Ah, so, right. yeah, and she went on stage at one of their gigs, and so yeah, there was a, she was definitely. I mean, it's it was classic Morrissey at the time, less so now, but sort of reviving, sort of faded stars of the fifties and sixties. Like Maybe Hitler, does that, but. Yeah, different ones. Uh, Hitler's wasn't so big in the 50s. Anyway, um, she moved to Malta to escape the tabloids and then was deported from Malta after punching a policeman in a fit of pique. And uh, she made a second fortune from royalties because from that autobiography that you mentioned, there was then a film, also a West End musical, Adam, about her life, all titled Spend, Spend, Spend. And, of course, that second bonanza from royalties she she blew all of that as well is there a netflix documentary about her that's that would be my way in yeah I, there should be here's a final word on, on this subject from uh, viv herself she said uh, to the evening standard in 1999 winning the pools wasn't lucky before that keith and i used to have five cigarettes to last us all week so he would have a drag and then give it to me and i would have a drag and i'd not eat much at dinner because we couldn't afford it she added sharing cigarettes just holding one another and loving one another that's when I had everything. Crikey. Stop playing the bluebells. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The pools, by the way, listener, if you're still intrigued about that as a competition, you can still play it and online these days. Uh, it's approaching its centenary year. It did have a peak of 10 million uh, players back in the 90s, but uh, I think the numbers are significantly smaller now. But, hey, have a pop. Brilliant. All right, well, there you go. Uh, that's uh, it for today's Totally Football Show. We'll return on Monday to round up all of the weekend's fun. Uh, so I do hope you'll be joining us for that, ahead of the international break, of course, which is coming up. Uh, excellent. For now, many, many thanks to Adam and to Tom and to Duncan, producer Charlie, and you, listener, though not necessarily in that order. Uh, we hope you have a lovely weekend, and from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.